edition of the Dog and Duck Show, but maybe tonight we ought to call it the Dog and Dog and Dog Show. My name is Warren Maynard. I am your regular host, but with me I have two special guest hosts subbing in for our duck in the show equation tonight. Uh, my friends Trevor Mueller and Nick Cooper. Trevor, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Trevor is uh, he is a, uh, a contributor for Sports Illustrated's Husky Maven Channel, uh, Sports Illustrated's All American, and the Fourth and Inches podcast. And uh, Nick Cooper is a longtime Husky fan, alum, and regular podcast guest as well. And both members of the inaugural uh, Pac-12 Fantasy Football Draft and. Uh, it's great to have you guys on the show. How are you guys doing tonight? Well, well, not as good as you, man. You won the, uh, you you ran away with uh, the fantasy this year. Well, you know, as they, as uh, the the great Lee Corso, Corso said, uh, not so fast, my friend. So we'll 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 take a closer look at that. But uh, you know, I, I, I'm not quite sure if that's if that's the whole truth yet. But uh, Nick, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Happy to be here. Uh, you know disappointed by my my fantasy uh performance this year but uh happy to get into it with you guys and uh talk a little football absolutely well uh as i mentioned mark is out uh, those of you that listen to our show uh, you'll know that um mark is expecting his first baby and uh, baby was due a few days ago still not here yet um but uh he is on standby and ready to go so we'll keep you posted on that in future episodes and then really the the mastermind the architect uh of the pac-12 fantasy football draft kayla olin uh is not with us tonight we were hoping to have her join us but uh kayla is out due to work obligations but we've got plenty to talk about just to give you a little bit of a preview we're going to talk uh, about uh, we're going to give a Pac-12 review through the lens of our Pac-12 fantasy draft. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Kayla's uh, star turn, uh, the UW coaching staff transfer portal, an early signing period, and then we may have a little bit of fun talking about the Oregon coaching situation. So I hope you guys are ready to get into it. Uh, but uh, we got we got a lot of good stuff to talk about. Let's go. All right. So as we talked about, uh, you know, uh, I guess maybe about five, six months ago, Kayla reached out to a handful of us and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing a Pac-12 fantasy football draft. She created it. She orchestrated it. She put it together. We put it on tape. And um, the, the, the results, I believe, could be found through the Fourth and Inches podcast uh, of the initial draft. And um, the final numbers are not in. Uh, we're still waiting for a few numbers to be tabulated. We don't have the power of a ESPN fantasy football backend database to crunch these numbers. But as it stands right now through week 12, uh, yours truly, I'm leading with 1,090 uh, points. But Trevor, you're not far behind. You're only uh, 86 points behind. With a thousand four, surprisingly, Mark uh, is pulling in with the third most amount of points 
at 794, Kayla at 744, and Nick, uh, unfortunately, you are uh, at the bottom at 619 points. Um, so as we kind of take a look at what happened in the Pac-12 this year, uh, I thought we would kind of do that as we talk a little bit about um, this fantasy football draft. So, you know, looking at the, the year, uh, who would you guys say were some of the, the best picks for uh, fantasy football in the Pac-12 this year? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think it was one of your guys, Drake London, um, with USC, I think, having that top wide receiver that stood, you know, stood out above the rest. I think he was, you know, really solid this year. Um, you know, I know you had both Oregon running backs that seemed to contribute really well, you know, a good one-two punch. And then, you know, when one went down, the other was able to to fill those spots. So, you know, I think those are some, you know, two of the really top guys, you know, <laughs> going back to my, uh, you know, my, my downfall here, I think, you know, coming out of it, I thought I had a really good draft with, with Broussard, Austin Jones, Covey and Johnny Johnson, but it just seems like, you know, Stanford and Colorado were bad teams. And so kind of learning, okay, you know, doesn't really matter what guy I have on there. You know, if, if it's a bad team, you know, the performances are going to dwindle. And I feel like that really caught up to me. Yeah, it was pretty wild looking at, you know, the overall scores and uh, outside of Drake London, who, I mean, uh, still scoring. I, I'm looking at a couple of weeks behind. And of course, he um, didn't get to play those uh, last few games. I mean, he was by far and away the best offensive player in the Pac-12. Um, handcuffing the Oregon running backs, I think, was probably the best move by anybody in this draft. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, um, you know, the, the, the Jared Broussard pick was a really smart pick on paper. I mean, you know, he had dominated in 2020. He was the, the best pure rusher in the Pac-12 in 2020. And, you know, to be honest, I didn't watch a lot of Colorado games, but uh, by all accounts, he was healthy for most of the season the Colorado, you know, football team was still putting up points, but uh, he just was not a factor in their offense this year, which is really inexplicable. And, um, you know, I think, well, and that's probably one of the reasons why their OC is no longer there. True. True. Absolutely. You know, I have to give credit to, uh, to Mark. We all kind of laughed when he took Oregon's defense in the first round and rightfully so. Um, but, uh, picking up Keenan Slovis and then taking advantage of the one replacement uh, player, uh, you know, clause that we built in there, uh, putting Anthony Brown into the quarterback slot to finish the last five or six uh, games of the season after Keaton Slovis got injured. That turned out to be probably his best overall move with uh, the combination of those two quarterbacks uh, combining for the highest fantasy total of any of the quarterbacks. Uh, conversely, my pick of Dylan Morris was an epic disaster, <laughs> but uh, such is the case with, with uh, any 
of the, uh, the, the Washington football players outside of maybe Terrell Bynum, who had decent numbers this year. Yeah. You look at, uh, you know, Anthony Brown is somebody that, uh, or, you know, faceless Oregon fan was pretty unhappy with, but from a fantasy perspective, he was fantastic because he would get you those passing yards, but he was also, you know, he was liable to run on even quarterback design runs. Yeah. I, you know, honestly, I think Oregon fans are crazy for dogging Anthony Brown because, you know, the, their season came down to probably three or four one possession type games where Anthony Brown was the difference. I mean, I can think of at least two games where uh, on fourth down, he converted for a touchdown uh, right. and really, you know, changed the whole outcome of the game. I think they're going to miss Anthony Brown in Eugene next year. And uh, even with a five-star like Ty Thompson, there is no guarantee that that guy is going to be able to, to produce in the fourth quarter like uh, Anthony Brown did. You know, and obviously they, <laughs> the entire Oregon team got just, uh, just destroyed by Utah. But you can't really lay the entire Utah loss on the feet of Anthony Brown, in my opinion. Or a Stanford loss. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> hey, like every team is going to have that, you know, that what happened type of loss. And that's what it was, you know, but Anthony Brown was pretty darn good in that game, had a chance to, to win it. The referees certainly contributed to, uh, you know, Stanford walking away with the win. Uh, you know, Mark, who's not with us, did offer some commentary on one of his picks, uh, tight end DJ Johnson. Uh, all of the top th tight end options had gone off the board by the time Mark got around to picking a tight end and he picked uh, Oregon tight end DJ Johnson, who ended up having uh, one catch on the season because ultimately he was used primarily as a defensive lineman uh, in pass rush situations. Mark did want us to make mention of the fact that uh, DJ Johnson did, in fact, uh, get a sack in the win over Ohio state. Um, <laughs> although he didn't get any credit for that uh, on the stat sheet. So um, well done Mark uh, for that pick. Uh, so I guess, you know, as we kind of now look back on the season that was and the way that this draft was, was set up was that basically it was a one and done, right? Like we picked our draft, we picked our team and then we were stuck no matter what happened, but who are some of the guys that you wished you could have drafted after maybe the first month or two? I mean, yeah, I think, you know, in the notes, you know, uh, Tavion Thompson of Utah, you know, just watching those last couple of games against Oregon, you know, busting off for some big games. And, you know, of course in fantasy, it's like, you know, it's all about touchdowns. You know, my guy, you know, I think, Bruce Sard had two touchdowns this year. Austin Jones had three touchdowns this year. So if you're getting a guy you can get in the end zone, you know, kind of become a lead guy and really stepping into that role, you know, he's someone that, you know, we didn't really look at or, you know, make too much of a note of coming into it. But, you know, if somebody really stands out now, you know, after the season. Yeah, you have written in here as well as Cameron Rising. And I, one of the musings that I had, 
you know, even during the Pac-12 championship is if he starts game one, is Utah in the final four? Because they looked absolutely dominant with rising under center. It's what, you know, Utah has been struggling to find is, is that one quarterback that uh, can put them over the top. And, and I, they found him. And unfortunately it was after a loss to BYU and they have another loss on the season. Um, Arizona, uh, uh, San Diego state or something like that. But, you know, with rising under center, man, I mean that those are probably two wins and you're looking at, uh, you know, a 12 and 0 Utah team. And uh, he, you know, I, I, he was, he was named a captain after he was uh, you know, after he was uh, second string that, that kind of shows what kind of player he is. And then he just put up tons of numbers. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it was like a totally different team once Cameron rising got into the game and, you know, I get it. Like here you got, you got Charlie Brewer. This guy has put up huge numbers at Baylor. Why would you not give him the starting position? And then for him to falter the way that he did, leave the program after three games, all of the tragedy that Utah has experienced over the last 12 months, for them to put all that together, you know, I think Tavion Thomas and yeah. uh, Cameron Rising, two of the, the, the best stars in the Pac-12 this year, uh, big fans of those guys couple other guys that I think uh man I think we all would have grabbed if we if we'd known better but Zach Charbonnet uh the transfer from Michigan that went to UCLA um he and Britton Brown really paired to to be probably the most dynamic um you know running back duo in the Pac-12 this year and then man we all missed on BJ Baylor uh from Oregon State the the Beavers did it again you know, I think we thought after Jamar Jefferson left last year that um, there wasn't going to be a guy to carry the rock like that. But, wow, Baylor proved that he uh, he had the goods. And um, I think we would have all enjoyed having that guy on our fantasy football roster this year. Which is really dumb on our parts as Husky fans because he was pretty effective against Washington in 2020 as well. That's and, uh, true. I yeah. Mean, I, yeah. <laughs> looking back on it now, it's like – you know, we specifically, you know, as dog fans, remember that game and, you know, still didn't, still didn't pull the trigger on it, you know, when it came time. It's ignorance. Well, you know, it's so hard. If we've learned any lesson this year, guys, it's that you can't take a lot of stock in what you're hearing from fall camp. <laughs> because I came out of fall camp thinking this might be the best Husky offense that we've had in years. And it literally is like the worst Husky offense that I've ever, I can remember seeing it, you know, for the longest time. So uh, I don't know what to make out of that. At the first week, it was like, okay, we've got all these wide receivers injured. We just, and we're playing vanilla because it's Montana and it snuck up and bit us, but it just never got any better from there. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Uh, that was, some of the worst offense I've ever seen with so much hype around it, uh, whether that was the offensive line, uh, you know, even it's pretty impressive what K. Dotton actually did getting 50 uh, ish points 
and in, in his limited snaps uh, as a receiver. So um, just just a really really disappointing effort from the offensive coaching staff. And when I say offensive coaching staff, I mean John Donovan. Amen and amen. Yeah, I mean, I you know, going into it, and I still do, you know, feel like we have, you know, talented wide receivers. I think, you know, yeah. you've had the good recruiting classes, and I think that's what surprised me most is it's not like, you know, we're taking over and trying to, to rebuild and, and go. It's, you know, we thought we had the guys that we need, and so, you know, I really feel like <laughs> the coaching staff really let the guys down, and, you know, in turn, it was just a disappointing season. And uh, Warren, I don't want to get too far ahead, but you know that's shown that uh, Kalen DeBoer is not uh, super interested in a lot of the coaching staff, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. I don't know if you saw it today. Keith Bonifaz is not going to be back. Uh, yeah. It sounds like the only one that uh, is going to be back from from that I know is is uh, Junior Adams, and that is the receiver room because the receiver room is really good. No doubt. Well, hey, before we turn the page uh, from the 2021 fantasy football or Pac-12 fantasy football, um, any just thoughts about what you saw this year in the Pac-12 that um, stood out to you? Any, you know, great stories or, um, you know, takeaways that you think are worth noting? Um, I think, you know, kind of like Trevor was mentioning earlier and you a little bit worn is just, you know, Utah, you know, if, if you start cam rising all year, do like, you know, do they go 11 and one or, or, you know, 12 and oh, and, and, you know, potentially get into that playoff, especially, you know, after a lot of adversity, you know, last year and, and, and this season. So for them to, you know, stick through that all, you know, quarterback change, you know, your starting quarterback leaves the team and, you know, to continue to go out there and fight and, you know, end up in the Rose bowl, I think is, is a great accomplishment. Yeah, and I see um, I see three uh, really important ones uh, along with Utah. The first one being uh, kind of going along with that galvanizing a team around uh, each other, and that's Washington State um, yeah. having uh, the cloud around them the entire year, knowing from what it sounds like everybody knew that um, I can't remember his name anymore. Um, uh, the Utah, co- uh, the, the Hawaii coach uh, Rolovich. Rolovich was never yeah. going to uh, um, going to get the vaccine knowing that his days were numbered and them to kind of rally around each other uh, and have a really successful season and where the um, the Civil War after beat, winning the Apple Cup mattered. Because uh, if Oregon State pulls that out, Washington State's Pac-12 champ. Yeah. I think the other one is uh, this is the first time in a long time where I can remember the Pac-12 not being uh, a monster quarterback driven league mm-hmm. um, where you're not going to see any uh, day one or two uh, quarterbacks taken in the NFL draft. Um, Jaden Delora looked pretty good. Cameron Rising, obviously the best. Uh, of this group, Keaton Slovis in the transfer portal. Uh, it's, it's just crazy. And Dylan Morris regressing. And I think uh, we all know where some of that stems from. So, uh, you know, with Kalen DeBoer, if he sticks around, who knows what we're going to see next year from him. And 
The last one is just the massive amount of turnover that we're seeing in, um, in the coaching ranks in the PAC 12 this year. I don't know if yeah. uh, I've seen it like this before and, and some really big names coming in. Yeah, that's a huge story. Uh, Trevor, the just, I mean, and, and what's funny is that like, as the season progressed, the, the coaching changes changed, you know, we thought, right. okay, it looks like Chip Kelly might be on the hot seat. And then, you know, now it looks like he's, he's safe going into the season. We thought, oh man, Herm Edwards, this guy's going to be in a boatload of water, but hot water, but this guy, you know, seems to be, you know, sitting pretty right now at Arizona state, whereas nobody would have ever, ever dreamed that Jimmy Lake would be gone. You know, nobody would have dreamed that Mario Cristobal would be gone at this point. So yeah, tons of turnover. And of course, I think the headliner being Lincoln Riley and that just dramatic move from Oklahoma, from a team that regularly gets to the college football playoffs to take a chance at the, you know, the hundred million dollar lotto and, you know, pull the lever with USC. Wow. That that's a game changing move. And, and I'm excited to see what it brings to the PAC 12 in the next couple of years. And with that, I mean, the, who knows the, the, the face of the college football, I, I saw a, a few lessons to be learned this year uh, nationally. And uh, you know, from what it sounds like Oklahoma, I think, you know, if, if they stay in the big 12, Lincoln Riley probably stays put. Um, you can dominate that league for as long as you want. You're always going to be in discussion for a playoff spot. As long as you take care of your business, head to the sec you know, who knows what that's going. That's that, that is a really good place to go get a lot of money and then get fired uh, unless your name is rhymes with Nick Saban. And then I guess the other part of that is, uh, no, you know, Notre Dame and BYU, uh, Notre Dame more, if Notre Dame's in a conference and they win a conference championship, there's probably more of a discussion around them, uh, you know, um, being in the playoff, even though they lost the head-to-head to Cincinnati, that was a really good game. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, as uh, as we turn the page on that, we want to say a big thank you to Kayla Olin for putting this together. Kayla, thanks for all your hard work and crunching the numbers and uh, dreaming this up. And uh, we want to give you a big congratulations for your uh, starring role as the uh, the trailblazing woman, the first woman to, to officiate a state title in a football game in Washington. So um, I don't know if you guys saw that article in the Seattle Times, but, um, you know, any comments about that? Uh, first woman to officiate a, a high school a football game in the state of Washington is a pretty big deal. Yeah, that's, I mean, obviously a huge accomplishment and, you know, hopefully paves the way for, you know, that to be a little more common and, you know, just props to Kayla knowing her for a few years now, you know, knowing how, you know, strong and determined she is to, you know, meet her goals, you know, super proud of her with that. And I think I remember a couple of years ago, you know, once I kind of learned she was into this, you know, I was looking at some of the quizzes she had to, to you know, go over, you know, as part of, you know, before the season to make sure she was ready and just, 
you know, looking at all these unique scenarios that these, you know, officials and refs have to go over and me sitting there, you know, scratching my head on like, okay, you know, maybe, you know, maybe this job isn't easy, as easy as it is when you're, you know, sitting on the couch or, you know, in the stands. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Kayla came on this, uh, at the beginning of this year as, uh, my co-host on fourth and inches and getting to talk to her throughout this whole situation that that might be a thing. And, uh, seeing kind of the true professional that she is, um, on this side, we've done some stuff together with sports illustrated and, uh, working with Mike Martin, but, uh, getting to uh, communicate with her, uh, regularly. Um, I got to see how, uh, diligent she is and, and how good she is at whatever she decides that she's going to do. And, uh, I can't, I mean, it's awesome. And, and it yeah. being the first one to do it, uh, that's history. And, and that is, uh, really, really cool. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, a father of two kids, a, a daughter and a son, Trevor, I know you're a dad. Uh, do you have a boys or girls? Two crazy boys. Two crazy boys. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, uh, being a father of a daughter, it's a, it's a pretty special thing. And, um, you know, if you read the Seattle Times article, just seeing the relationship between Kayla and her dad and how he was a referee and how he kind of helped inspire her to, to follow in his footsteps, even though that's not what's kind of the traditional, you know, picture of, uh, you know, a daughter, but, uh, he could not be more proud of her. And uh, I know uh, as a dad of a daughter, anytime you see your kids, um, you know, step into a challenging situation and really tackle it head on, that's that's definitely worth applauding. So congratulations, Kayla. If you haven't checked out the article, Google it, Seattle Times, Kayla Olin, and um, be sure to give her a shout, follow on Twitter. Um, she's putting out great stuff and we're all, we're all happy for her. All right. Well, guys, let's talk a little bit about all the comings and goings of uh, Husky football since really the end of the season. Jimmy Lake is let go. Kalen DeBoer is named the head coach. And, uh, you know, between um, commits and decommits, transfer portals coming in and coming out, uh, filling up a coaching staff. Uh, there's a lot of um, a lot of big things uh, happening around the Husky football program that are worthy of our discussion. And we've already mentioned a few of those things. So let's start off by talking a little bit about the the coaching staff. Um, you know, Trevor, maybe just kind of give us a little bit of a breakdown on what you know thus far about uh, the what's come what's kind of being. Uh, shaped with this current coaching staff? Well, it looks like he's uh, keeping it uh, within the, his uh, realm of, in, uh, of influence. So you're seeing uh, some guys that are coming from uh, Fresno state. Uh, you, you've uh, Gr Ryan Grubbs, the uh, offensive coordinator is coming, which I think is fantastic because that offense Purse. And uh, as Husky fans, I think we're ready to see a competent offense. Um, I think that some of the other hires, uh, Juice, uh, I'm spacing on his name from all everything I've read. Uh, he develops players. He's got a couple of Fresno State players in the NFL right now. Uh, and he was also 
named the second best recruiter in the Mountain West. So I think there's some really good things there. Uh, it's kind of like shades of, of uh, Jimmy Lake of old where they yeah. can develop, but uh, you know, you're really looking for somebody that's going to be an ace recruiter on the defensive side of the ball. Um, some of the other guys I'm not sure about yet. The uh, former Indiana uh, the offensive coordinator is going to be coaching tight ends. Uh, We'll see about that. If people are excited about it, I don't know anything about him. Uh, the junior Adams retention is a big one, I think, for recruiting. And and you've seen what he's done with the receiver room. I think that's going to be really important. Um, the one that kind of hurts me a little bit is is it was announced today that uh, Kaika Malloy will not be retained, which uh, I, I'm – I'm wondering uh, why I don't know anything of why uh, other than I think that Akaiko is ready to be a defensive coordinator. And, and the uh, speculation is that, uh, uh, and help me with the name Stein. Uh, yeah. Orlando Steinhauer. Uh, Orlando Steinhauer from, uh, from the CFL looks like uh, it should be him because uh, Dante Williams looks like he's staying in USC. So I think if you get Steinauer in, I watched the Grey Cup. Uh, I like the way that he uh, interacts with his players. I think that mm. he's organized, and I think Washington needs um, organized coaches that care about their players. Nice, thanks, Trevor. You know, well, congrats. I mean, props to you for watching the Grey Cup. That <laughs> that's commitment right there. Nick, I got a question for you because I think this is kind of a, a philosophical thing and. On Twitter, you know, whether you're an Oregon fan or a Washington fan, you know, there are people that just melt down about everything. But, uh, well, I got two questions, and both of you guys can kind of jump in on this if you like. The first one is this. Philosophically, do you have a problem with a coach like DeBoer saying, you know what, I'm not going after the splashy hire, the, the, the guy that everybody on Twitter is talking about, I want to work with guys that I know and trust, and I believe that they're going to be able to do a better job than me trying to pull in a guy that doesn't understand me and my culture. Or do you think that there is value in going out and getting the very best, you know, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, whatever position coach there is? What, what is your kind of perspective on that? Yeah. I mean, for me personally, I really, I think it comes down to a fine balance. I think, you know, if you're, if you're closed minded and saying, you know, I'm only going to work with these certain people, you know, I think you can only get so far. So, you know, I know in his press conference, you know, he did kind of, you know, say that like, yes, of course you're comfortable, you know, working with the people, you know, but also, you know, I can't remember, you know, exactly what he said, but, you know, kind of, saying he would be willing to look elsewhere as well um you know so I think it's a good balance like someone would like grub you know coming in where he's worked with him for so many years trust him you know calling plays and, and running his style of offense I think you know you know there's you know that you know that's a big get and someone that I have no problem with you know I think on the defensive end you know where it's not your specialty I think that's where you could get a little more creative and and outside the box and you know, I know, you know, he does know Steinauer, you know, a bit from Fresno State, but, 
you know, it was only one year. And so there's a little more familiarity, but, you know, still having experience elsewhere, um, you know, I think it's fine to take risks and, and, you know, look outside the box and, you know, you know, be able to really see, okay, you know, you know, obviously you're probably going to see right away or at the end of the year, you know, whether this really works out, you know, better or worse, I guess. I think also, you know, you kind of saw a little bit under Peterson, if you're, you know, constantly going with guys you're, you're friends with and you really know, you know, how likely are you going to, you know, if someone's underperforming, are you going to be willing to, to let them go? And I think that might be a little easier if it's, if it's someone who, you know, you don't have as much of a connection with. That's great. Trevor, do you, do you agree? Do you feel like, you know, we need yeah, to Nick, I think you're, I think you're right. I think that, yeah, I, I think Nick, you're on, I think you're right, Nick. I, I, I think that when you, when you have a system, the thing that I've, that been thinking about with Kalen DeBoer a lot is, you know, he doesn't have the power five experience that some people want. Um, he's only had two years at a G five school uh, and a, a lot of his success came from the NAIA uh, division, which, um, you know, he was given a good program in Sioux Falls, but how many times have we seen just here in the dog and duck show uh, a coach given a team that was ready to go and watch it, flame out in two years. So, uh, he won, you know, he won as many national championships as he had losses. So, uh, he obviously knows how to coach. And even if it's at a lower level, it's still hard because you're dealing with college age kids and you're playing a game with a non, uh, a, a ball. I mean, things happen in games like that. Yeah. And, um, so he obviously has a system that works. It's proven to work and it's translated well to the group of five. And there's no reason to think it won't translate because he has a system. And so if he can find guys that uh, can believe in that system and, and work within that system, it's great. Um, I think that you go get guys, you, you, you know, it's, it's like the circle of trust. You get your core coaches in there that are going to be able to permeate that throughout the program. So that's obviously going to be grub Steinhauer, hopefully. And then with those position coaches, you go get ACE recruiters and guys that know how to develop and you, you, it's, it's never good to have a staff of all like-minded people. That's stunting a growth. That's how you get fired in 18 months. And instead you go out and you get guys with varying uh, views that are ancillary that you can work with. And you put together a really good staff that way. He said he wanted really good recruiters. So he has to go get really good recruiters to go along to fit his system. So uh, yeah. yeah, Nick, you're right. Up top, you got to get guys that are in the system and then you get really good recruiters that you can mold into, you know, what you're looking for. Yeah, that's a good point, Trevor. And I, I like, I agree with you guys. And I think this is where it's hard for like the typical scrolling Twitter fan to really <laughs> understand the nuance of you know culture you know eat strategy for lunch every day of the week if you don't have a good culture and we've heard some rumors trickle out from like that the culture at UW this year was just absolutely toxic um for whatever reason but what I love about the the coaching staff that we are seeing being put together uh is that in some ways it's kind of flipped from what what Jimmy Lake was, was doing where Jimmy Lake 
it seemed like he was moving a lot of guys up, like, you know, guys that were graduates, graduate assistants and consultants. And now they're being made position coaches, position coaches, uh, being made coordinators and, um, you know, a guy like John Donovan. Yeah. He did have experience as the offensive coordinator at Penn state, but what he did there was not worth repeating. And then he was a running back coach, um, at, you know, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. But when you look at like, um, you know, uh, when you look at like Orlando Steinauer, you see a guy that he's been a head coach and potentially coming to be a defensive coordinator. So he gets the bigger picture. He's been a level above. You look at a guy like Nick Sheridan, the new tight end coach. And last year he was the offensive coordinator, but he's also been a quarterback coach. And he's the son of a defensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know? And so, You've got guys that have kind of been uh, a level above, maybe even at a, a lower a lower level school, but they've been that upper level, and now they know what it's like to kind of come in and see the bigger picture, and they're not trying to figure out how to do their job on the job. I also like, like you said, uh, Juice Brown, cornerbacks coach. Uh, he's the guy that basically stepped in and took over for Jimmy after he uh, moved with Chris Peterson out to UW, but uh, this guy's got some recruiting prowess and he was the recruiting coordinator for Fresno State. He's not gonna be the recruiting coordinator here, but what that tells me is this, this is a guy that's going to, to get it done on the recruiting uh, end of things at a really critical position because we've built a reputation at UW for being DBU. We got, we got defensive back safeties throughout the NFL. Last night's Monday night football game was a great example of that. Seeing Byron Murphy, Buda Baker, uh, Taylor Rapp. I don't know if Ezekiel Turner was playing last night. I didn't hear his name called, but, you know, not to mention guys like Greg Gaines, um, you know, chasing down Kyler Murray in the open field. Um, yeah, there's a lot to be proud of. So we want to continue to build on that reputation. Second question I've got for you guys is this. So, you know, you mentioned recruiting. Uh, I think, um, you know, when it comes to like, like constructing the perfect coach, there, there are maybe three big areas that we really want to see our coaches excel in recruiting, developing, and, uh, you know, game day, you know, strategy. Um, so if you had to kind of prioritize those three things, how would you, how would you say like, okay, in my book, this is number one, this is number two, and this is number three, when I'm looking for a coach at, you know, at the university of Washington. Yeah, I think, you know, off the top of my head, it kind of goes back to, what Trevor said and that you kind of have a, a mix of those guys and you know how you know and how close is you know are they an ace recruiter and like a very solid developer but super you know very lack in the x's and o's or you know are they are they pretty good at each I think right now um you know I don't know maybe it's because I'm younger and you know 
or whatnot, but I, I think recruiting, you know, it's <laughs> gotta be top. I think if you have the guys, you know, that, you know, um, you know, can go out there and shine. I mean, that's where it all starts. I mean, Alabama and Georgia and, and all those big teams, they all have the top recruits and, you know, they talk about the blue chip ratio and how many, mm-hmm. you know, you know, four or five star guys you have compared to the rest. So for me, you know, I think recruiting at the top, um, you know, it's, it's tough, but I put, I put development second just because, mm-hmm. you know, you got to do something with that talent. If, if they're, you know, if guys come in raw, you know, you know, like Savelle Smalls, you know, maybe came in a little raw. He hasn't, you know, done a whole lot, but I think with the right coaches, he can still be a great player. And so, you know, getting someone, you know, who can develop, um, you know, whether it's a three-star, four-star, five-star, you're still going to, you know, no matter how good you are, you're still going to have some three-star guys that you can build up. And then, you know, so of course that leaves, you know, game strategy or X's and O's last. And, um, you know, but ideally, you know, like I was saying, I think that, you know, if you can get some ace recruiters and then have your coordinators, you know, be those X's and O's guys and, you know, develop in between, I think, you know, that's your ideal situation. Nick, you, I, I was pretty confident in mine and your last sentence, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, maybe I'm wrong. Because <laughs> that was a really good call uh, because mine, I might have to flip it on the head, but man, uh, it's just what you want your guys to be. Is Do you want your head to be the the closer or do you want your, uh, you know, your coordinators to be the, the ace recruiters? And, uh, you know, if I think of Chris Peterson, I think of uh, a developer, yeah. a... Um, a recruiter and an X's and O's guy, and then a recruiter. Um, yeah. uh, I think that maybe towards the end, his uh, offensive guy, maybe his offense wasn't as good as it had been in the, in the past. Um, but I think that you, you saw, you know, Washington be pretty good, uh, you know, losing some major bowl games and then their, their kids go on and have great NFL careers, right? We're seeing yeah. that right now. Uh, Chris Peterson never won a big bowl game. Um, so, you know, and then you have the, what's that with you, exactly. Yes. It with you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what, what I would love is I want, I want to, I want a, an X's and O's, a developer and a recruiter. And uh, I think that if you can develop and you can, um, put together a competent offense and defense, uh, people will come. And uh, that's where I guess the, it's a really hard question because I want somebody that's good at all of them. Right. Uh, But I think that in a perfect system, your, your head is the CEO, the one that runs the ship and uh, the guys under them, starting with the coordinators on down to the position coaches. Those are the guys that go and recruit their, their tails off to fit the system. And uh, you know, but Nick, you, man, you made a really good point there at the end. So I don't know. You know, honestly, I, I, I agree with you, Trevor. I think, you know, internally um, we all want to be watching a team where the guys on the field are outperforming their star rating than, you know, as opposed to underperforming their star rating. You know, it's like, if you've got a team full of four and five star guys, but they just, 
everybody seems to be, uh, you know, underperforming. It's just, that's gotta be like the most maddening thing, which is, you know, truly the case for uh, USC for the last, you know, half a dozen years. Uh, you do a podcast with the duck fan. I live with a duck fan and, and, and they're frustrated. Yeah. Cause they you know have, I mean? they have the four and five star guys and watching that offense especially was just really hard to do. And then, you know, the lack yeah. of discipline on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, completely. You know, and you go, okay. Like uh, when we look back to really the sweet spot of Husky football under Chris Peterson, 2016 to 2018, you know, you had, you had a lot of three stars, a handful of four stars, no five stars uh, at that point. But man, it was so fun watching those guys. And there's just a lot of joy, I think, even though we, we may not enjoy it as much on, uh, you know, on signing day, there's a lot of joy in seeing a guy like Greg Gaines, seeing a guy like Taylor Rapp, a guy like, you know, Miles Bryant, and going, man, you know, we got that guy. We, we found him. We evaluated him. We, we developed him. We put him in a scheme where he could, you know, maximize his talents. Um, and uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm all about recruiting. I want to get, I want to get some, you know, dynamic recruiters. And I think the addition of Courtney Morgan is a game changer for this Husky program. Um, and I, I'm very excited to see what Juice Brown can do. Uh, I'm excited to see what, um, you know, Junior Adams is going to continue to do now that he's got an offense that really accentuates wide receivers. Uh, but man, give me a coach who knows what, what to do on game day and can develop his players and we'll get the rest figured out from there. And, you know, really what, what better testimony to that is there than seeing Fresno state beat UCLA just a couple weeks after UCLA beat LSU, you know? So, uh, if, if Jake Hayner, all five foot eight, you know, 165 pounds of him can take can take down the Bruins, then, you know, give me some more of that. I'm, I'm, I'm all about that. Well, hey, as we're talking a little bit about uh, quarterbacks, um, the name Jake Hayner has been on the tips of a lot of Husky uh, fans' tongues over the last couple weeks with the announcement that he was entering into the transfer portal. He has since, uh, you know, rescinded his name from the portal and it appears that he will be the starting head quarter, the starting quarterback for uh, head coach Jeff Tedford at Fresno State this year. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about the comings and goings of players uh, in this Husky program. So let's maybe just we'll kind of just put all this together. But um, you know we've got Husky commits and decommits. We've got guys leaving via the transfer portal and guys coming via the transfer portal. So guys, give me a little bit of breakdown of what you're hearing with all that. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I, you know, talking about the PAC 12 again, I mean, look at all the turnover we've seen, I think, you know, I know it, it's never great to, you know, have someone transfer out or decommit, but, you know, I think that's just more of, of kind of maybe not the decommits, but the transfer, you know, portal especially is just probably what we're going to see now more commonly. Um, but like you said, I think 
you know, there's a balance. You're going to get guys who, who come in as well. Oh, I mean, at least you hope there's a balance. You want to be, you know, filling those, you know, guys transferring out with, with guys coming back in, you know, like we saw, you know, uh, Buki, Radley Hiles and, and, you know, him come in and play really well. And, you know, Giles Jackson at the end of the year, you know, you know, really get on the return game. Um, you know, so, you know, I'm surprised with Mark Redmond transferring out, you know, being a tight end and, you know, especially with Kate Otten leaving, you know, I didn't think he was, you know, too far, you know, down the line. Um, you know, I could see a little bit more with Sawyer with, you know, especially with Bynum coming back and how loaded we are at wide receiver. Um, you know, but I think, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll see some transfers coming in, you know, today we got um, Michael Penix from um, Indiana, who, you know, was coached by DeBoer for a little bit when he was there. And so, you know, I think, you know, as, you know, as this turnover happens, I, I think it's not unexpected. I mean, you know, I think we would still see transfers out if, if we left Lake in there with, you know, maybe, you know, the culture, you know, not being as great as, as you know, we've heard. And so, you know, I think, you know, I don't think it's big of a, too big of a surprise. I will tell you that if Jimmy Lake would, was still the coach, uh, the transfer portal would be full. Um, mm. That it was not pretty. Yeah. That being said, there is some really interesting ones that have been in the portal. And Nick, you mentioned like Mark Redmond, who seemed to fit kind of what, Washington is going to be looking for next year. And, um, you know, there's some, there's some other pretty good, Quentin Moore's a really good player. And uh, uh, I think that another year, another year, you know, he's, his body's matured. He's ready to go. I think he could be a really big time play. And then of course you have Ryan Otten, who's going to be coming in. Uh, I don't know if he's coming in the spring or uh, in the fall, but you know, there's some players there and, and Devin Culp has shown flashes and, I just can't wait for him to put it all together and, and become sure-handed because I, I think that guy is just really, really good. So uh, I, I could see that. Cooper McDonald, uh, I guess another one that was a little surprising to me uh, with the amount of snaps and, you know, how often he was around the ball. But, um, you know, uh, going to get to go play with his brother at uh, San Diego State. That's pretty cool. And yeah. Um, I think that some of it uh, is, you know, he's a he's a Texas guy in Seattle and, uh, you know, San Diego is maybe a little climate, a little bit closer to what he's used to. Um, so, you know, that, that could be, I don't, I don't have any insight into those guys, but, um, when it comes to the, the decommits, uh, you know, some of it could be fit with the new scheme. Um, you know, it, losing Jackson Stratton makes me really sad. I really like that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I think he's, he's an underrated prospect. He, he, mm-hmm. he moves decently well in the pocket and he's got a pretty good arm. So, uh, you know, uh, but all of a sudden you get Penix in the transfer portal and I I'm, I've yet to see if Jabbar, you know, I've Jabbar Johnson's yet to be offered, but I wonder with his skill set uh, if he wouldn't be somebody that's at least intriguing to this staff, eventually being so mobile and, and having a really live arm. Is Jabari so, uh, 22? He's 23. Okay, he's 23. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he has one more year to play. Um, he's in the same class as Jaden Wayne, who's uh, okay. just a phenomenal football player. 
on the defensive side of the ball and Washington should be in on him. Um, I think that you're really going to see this 2020. I mean, what do they got left? Like six or seven guys in the recruiting class after right. uh, yeah, um, Vega fair. dropped out as well, the offensive lineman. So there's, there's spots. Of course, the COVID year has kind of made everything a little wonky. Uh, there's some really good players that I think that are going to push some of those guys that have been playing that uh, you could see some other guys that maybe are impact players transfer out. And, you know, it always sucks to see guys leave, but, you know, it just could be because uh, the coaching staff had a frank honest, respectful conversation with them and said, you can stay here if you want. But the reality is, is if there's a guy that's the same skill as you, they're going to go with the younger. So um, we'll see, we'll see what happens there. Um, Obviously the cornerback room is going to be depleted because they're going to be playing on Sundays. So Mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of competition in the cornerbacks. Um, There's some guys that definitely have a chance to submit, uh, you know, kind of, this is kind of a make or break spring and summer for them. Uh, so there's probably more to come after spring ball where mm-hmm. things kind of get sorted out a little bit. Uh, I'm really rooting for like Cam Fabush uh, a guy who is yeah. really good coming out of high school of safety. He m- took a couple of bad routes and, and he really didn't see the field after that. It was one of those guys that it seemed uh, was treated pretty harshly after a mistake. So uh, yeah. who knows if he sticks around. So um, uh, I think the transfer portal coming in as well, uh, DeBoer used it really well when he was at Fresno state. So uh, you could see that as well. Yeah, that's great. Great point. Uh, you know, I personally, I was really disappointed to hear that uh, Mark Redman was hitting the transfer portal. Cause I think one of the things that a lot of, maybe casual fans don't really understand is that DeBoer's offense is really predicated around a lot of use of tight ends. He didn't have that guy on his roster in 2021 at Fresno state, but a great picture of that is what he did at Indiana with Michael Penix at quarterback. Uh, And by the way, the tight end coach, Nick Sheridan, who just uh, joined as our tight end coach, um, and under DeBoer and Nick Sheridan, tight end uh, Peyton Hendershoot had his best season as a college football player with uh, over 600 yards receiving. He was the second leading receiver on that team. And um, listening to the play-by-play um, coordinator for Fresno State talk about DeBoer, um, he spoke really highly of his uh, you know, create, creative ability to utilize pass-catching tight ends in his offense um so i'm still kind of hoping that maybe maybe nick sheridan can kind of talk redmond out of the the portal i don't know what his motivations are for leaving but um you know when you look at the tight end room you've got you've got now devin culp um who's got a lot of good experience now quentin moore who i think did reasonably well with the limited amount of uh, opportunities that he got uh, and then Jack Westover, who's kind of that hybrid tight end, H-back, fullback kind of guy. But then after that, it's a precipitous drop in terms of uh, experience. Mason West, I don't believe he uh, saw the field at all. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, Ryan Otten will be stepping onto the field for the first time. And I think tight ends need a little bit more time to develop physically for that role. Um, and I think there's one other guy. 
I'm forgetting Caden right Jumper. Uh, who's that? Caden Jumper. Yeah, Caden Jumper, who, you know, is kind of a unique hybrid Jack Westover kind of guy as well. So, yeah, can, can DeBoer and Sheridan find some creative uses for those guys? I think they can. But in terms of traditional tight ends uh, for that system, uh, you know, if we don't get if we don't get Redmond back out of the portal, I'd really like to see us go after another guy like we did with Quentin Moore this past this past season. Uh, disappointed to see Sawyer Racanelli uh, leave, but honestly, he was buried in you know in that depth chart uh, behind Jalen Polk and uh, Jalen McMillan and Roma Dunze and Taj Davis and Terrell Bynum coming back. We should be stacked in that wide receiver room. Jeremy Bernard coming in, highly touted guy that uh, I know, you know, some of our mutual friends think is going to hit the field sooner rather than later. Um, but I really want to get into this Michael Penix addition because, you know, the big question is, number one, what does he bring to this team? But then number two, what what are the implications of him joining this roster with two years of eligibility as it relates to our only two current quarterbacks, Sam Heward and, you know, incumbent starter, uh, Dylan Morris. What, what do you guys think? First of all, let's talk about, you know, what, what can we expect from a guy like Michael Penix? And then what are the implications for the other quarterbacks? Yeah, I mean, you're immediately, you know, getting a guy who has, you know, power five experience and has had a few big games and, you know, a good, a good year, a great year, you know, with DeBoer um, and, you know, probably knows his offense pretty well and, and can help some of the younger guys, you know, improve. Um, you know, he, he's never played more than six games in a season, which, which is scary and, you know, never, you know, haven't got to see his full potential yet, I guess. And so, you know, hopefully taking care of him, you know, being a leader, um, you know, of course, you know, having that, that power five experience is great, but, um, you know, this past season with, um, oh gosh, who's our, who is our other quarterback? Um, um, O'Brien, you know, he had yeah. power five experience as well. And I'm surprised, you know, we didn't use him as much. And so, you know, I guess there's no guarantee but I think competition is never a bad thing. So, yeah. you know, I think bringing you in to push these other guys, you know, will be good. I think it obviously hurts Dylan Morris the most um, with him, you know, being a little older and after the season he just had. But um, I guess I'm not, I'm not as worried about Heward transferring as, as maybe other people are. I think, you know, even if he loses out in the spring, you know, would – would he go be a starter immediately, you know, at another school if that's what he really wants? And so, you know, having to learn a new system and, and everything that comes with that. And so, you know, I feel like it'd be in his best interest to stick around, be a little patient and, you know, you know, trust the coaching staff and, and hopefully, you know, see what they can do. I was listening to another podcast uh, when it was all but set that um, uh, Jake Hanner was going to be the starter and, and the recruiting pitch to, to uh, 
uh, Sam sticking around is like, look, he's little, he's going to be in the pack 12. He's probably not going to make it through the season. So you'll eventually get to start. Like, yeah, yeah, that's not really a recruiting pitch that I would like to get behind, but, um, well, that, you know, to me, that was a perfect fit though, because it was like, okay, Hainer's Hainer's been in the, the DeBoer, you know, system. Mm-hmm. He's only got one more year left yeah. and, you know, spend a year learning from this guy. And then mm-hmm. you're going to be the kingpin come 2023 but the difference between one year and two years eligibility is is pretty significant i think as it relates to sam heward honestly i mean i think that in two years you know year two either sam heward's starting at washington over Penix or anybody else or uh he's moved on and probably to a a, a smaller job um, because, uh, the kid is, he is so good. Um, I think the thing that Husky fans need to remember is first off, he came from a spread offense in high school mm-hmm. where, uh, the terminology, what he was looking for was a lot different than the horrible pro style Stanford light, whatever you want to call, um, the John Donovan playbook. And so he, you know, he was thrown to the lions against, uh, I guess thrown to the Cougars. Um, and, uh, that, you know, that's not (laughs) that Sam Heward is not the Sam Heward we're going to see. I I fully expect him, uh, Penix, probably the coolest play of the 2020 season was him diving for that pylon against, uh, Penn state. Uh, that was the coolest game that year. It was the coolest finish and it's the coolest picture. So, um, he is coming off some significant injury. He has regressed as a passer since DeBoer left. Mm-hmm. So I don't see why Sam Heard couldn't beat him out, um, in this season. And, uh, if, if this, you know, Sam Heard's a competitor, man, he, he knows how good he is. Um, and, uh, I think that, you know, if he loses out, you know, who knows? I, I don't know. I, I know him a little bit, not that well, but, uh, I think he can win this job. No problem. Um, if he is able to get a hold of the playbook and, and learn the plays, he's a he has a higher ceiling than Penix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, you know, with with people wanting Dylan Morris, you know, out this season and giving Sam Heward a chance, I mean, I kind of got to a point where I was like, I don't think it matters what quarterback is right. in this offense. It's it's just you're not going to be successful. They're not setting you up to be successful, and so you know, I think Sam Heward you know, it's probably the best thing for him where you're, where you're getting, you know, a competent, you know, offensive coach, you know, who can, you know, get the best out of you. So, you know, kind of like you said, you know, I expect, you know, a lot out of him and, you know, if for whatever reason, you know, it doesn't work out, you know, you know, I could see him, you know, moving on as well, just because I think, like you said, you know, you know, clicked with me in that, you know, if, if he's not starting by that point, then, you know, will it ever happen? And, you know, it just goes to how poorly that system was run at Washington under Jimmy Lake, that they wasted a red shirt, said that they were playing on getting him in against Arizona and had him hand the ball off five times and throw one pass that meant anything. Yeah. Uh, and that burned a, that burned a game for him. Yeah. When the reality was after they, uh, after that loss, to Arizona state, uh, going to Colorado, Sam Huter should spend starting that game against, uh, one of the lower teams in the, in the conference. 
right. getting him ready for the Washington state game. And it's just ineptitude on ineptitude. I mean, it, right. there's no plan. And I guess that's why they're not employed here anymore. Yeah. And, you know, I think you, the, since the transfer portal really has taken root over the last few years, you know, we've had one major import with Jacob Eason, but conversely, you know, we've lost, we lost Hainer, we lost uh, uh, Yankov, we lost Sermon, we lost Garbers, you know, we've, we've lost four or five, I think, over the course of the last three or four years, four-star quarterbacks. Now we look at our current, our current uh, quarterback room. Right now, with the addition of Penix, we've got, you know, Penix, Heward, and Morris. It's hard to imagine that coming out of the spring, that if Morris is not quarterback one, he's going to stick around. So, you know, am I crazy in saying we need to get another quarterback either via the, the 2022 recruiting class or another transfer portal quarterback? Cause going into the fall of 2022 with potentially only two quarterbacks, it seems extremely dangerous. It's the world that we live in now where quarterbacks can leave at any moment. I mean, no longer do you have three. I mean, look at what Oklahoma did. You know, they <laughs> Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, uh, Jalen Hurts. I mean, they they just kept having to reload and, and they didn't have anybody necessarily behind them. And then when they did make a move to Caleb Williams, Spencer Rattler, you know, he, he everybody knew he was gone. So uh, I think quarterback rooms, what you're going to see is programs that, are solely dependent on, I mean, you're not going to win a championship without a good quarterback. So I think teams that lose their good quarterback, their, their guy are going to struggle. And that's going to lead to a little more parity at the top um, of, of college football. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's, it's, it's that the quarterback room is the biggest bugaboo for me because mm -hmm. we all get it there's only going to be one guy it's not like the defensive backs where you can rotate guys in but man you got to have at least three solid options at quarterback going into the fall yeah. or the the possibility of things going horribly wrong especially with a guy like michael Penix who already has an injury history um it, it, it's just through the roof well, hey, as we wrap things up, um, we, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, this is the dog and duck show. And since we don't have Mark here, uh, we do need to talk a little bit about uh, how uh, hysterically uh, Oregon has fallen um, you know, off the, the rails since about three and a half weeks ago. Uh, at one point, they were uh, nine and one. And uh, number three up in the nation, they get shellacked by Utah. They come back, they beat Oregon State. They get shellacked again by Utah. Mario Cristobal takes the Miami job, his dream job, proving to uh, every Oregon fan that or the Oregon Duck head coaching job is merely a stepping stone and uh, just get over it. And uh, and yeah, and now, uh, you know, Dan, the Dan Lanning era has begun. 
uh, Dan Lanning, of course, being the defensive coordinator for the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, he's certainly done a tremendous job leading, you know, the, the best defense in college football, in my opinion. But here we have a 35-year-old guy with no head coaching experience other than uh, coaching a high school girls basketball team. And um, he's, the, he's the head coach. It's not Urban Meyer. It's not Lane Kiffin. It's not Chip Kelly. And shockingly, it's not Justin Wilcox either. What's the deal, guys? I got a question for you guys first. What, what do you think about Justin Wilcox? Like, would you guys have been disappointed if he was named Washington's head coach? I, I think I personally, you know, I wanted someone who was good at all, like an offensive guy after, you know, what we just seen this year. And I think <laughs> having someone really good at offense who, who can put up points, I think that might be more the way that college football is going. Um, where you can find a good defensive coordinator. And so, you know, I think he'd be a good coach, you know, with better resources, you know, a better school. I just think at the time, you know, it might've been a little underwhelming. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think if you'd asked me at uh, the end of the 2019 season, what I would think about Justin Wilcox as a potential head coach, I would have been more positive because, at that point, it really looked like the Cal program was trending in a really good direction. Then COVID hit. Nobody had a worse you know, deal than Justin Wilcox when it came to the restrictions around the, the football program in Berkeley, California. Um, and as a result, the program really struggled over the last couple of years um, to deliver on what we thought some of that promise was. I think Wilcox is a good coach and I think he was, he would have been a good fit for the university of Washington. I think he could have been a great fit for Oregon because of his, you know, his heritage with, you know, with that community, uh, with that, that, you know, school as an alum, as a part of the, 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 the program in the past. And as you know, the, the story has been kind of leaked out, um, Joey Harrington, Akili Smith, and a number of former athletes submitted a letter to athletic director, you know, Rob Mullen saying, hey, we really want to try to get back to what we consider Oregon football. Uh, I think that they would say that the last few years has been a bit of a departure from what they really want the program to be about. Um, and they didn't go outright and say it in the letter, but I think it was pretty obvious that they were they were vying for Justin Wilcox to be strongly considered and interviewed for that position, which he was, which uh, as John Canzano reported and others have now corroborated, uh, he was offered the job. And after all of that, Wilcox turned down Oregon and decided to stay at Cal with uh, all of the restrictions there. So uh, guys, is this just like the, the ultimate snub? Um, and what do you make out of that, that decision by Wilcox to turn down Phil Knight and an unlimited bank account 
to stick with Cal. There's no free lunches. And uh, that unlimited bank account comes with a price. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Since, since uh, Chip Kelly left, they've really had, they've, they've had a, a really successful run. I mean, uh, but they've struggled to get to where they want. And I think that, uh, uh, you know, having a, a second athletic director, actor uh might be uh, a, a maybe a cause for concern of somebody who's trying to run a program and uh it was it was an absolute circus for a while there and they had their 24-hour twitter space going where you could just go on and listen to them rant and rave and try to figure out you know they were just watching the flights out of oxford um uh, Louisiana, uh, the lane train, uh, Mississippi. Yeah, yeah. 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 The lane train and all of that. And, uh, man, what a risk going with the third. I mean, that guy is a year older than me. Uh, 35 year old Dan Lanning, who is a good recruiter that yeah. we've seen, but, uh, has never put a system together. Uh, man, a high risk, high reward kind of hire. And, uh, you know, I think that the reality for Oregon is um, they're they're not quite where I think a lot of the younger fans want to be, and that's or you know all fans want to be a blue blood, right? And sure. there, I think what this shown is is I mean they're knocking on the doorstep. I mean they're a national brand; they can recruit everywhere, mm-hmm. but um, there's still there's still a tier above them, and. Um, I think that's kind of actually where Washington is too. I think, uh, you know, historically we are, we're higher than that, but still, uh, you know, we don't usually have coaches leave because a lot of the coaching staffs over the last 30 years have ended up getting fired or, uh, you know, you, you know, Steve Sarkeesian used us to get to USC. So, um, uh, you know, I think Oregon is in a place where they can compete for national championships at some points. Um, but they, they also have to find, they have to find what they want their culture and their identity to be, and and then be able to go from there. Like Washington has. Yeah. And I mean, I was looking a little earlier and it's like, this is going to be their fourth coach since like 2013 and to be a program that has been relevant, you know, (laughs) over you know, the past 10, 12, you know, year, 15 years is like, you know, I want, I don't know how often you see that. And, you know, going with another guy who doesn't have, you know, many kids, doesn't have connections, if any, to the area or the school. I mean, it's kind of, you know, playing with, I mean, all, all hires are going to have risks, but it's just like, are you playing with fire in that, you know, three years from now, are you going to be, you know, on coach five? You know, is he, you know, he's 35 years old. I mean, does he really plan, you know, even if he does well, is he, does he really plan on staying there, you know, 10, 12 years, you know, um, and, you know, sticking out that whole time, Um, you know, and I think we were talking about it earlier, you know, having a a coach, you know, uh, Chris Peterson, who's like a CEO and, and has his culture established and knows exactly what he wants. I mean, I think, it's a risk taking a guy so young and, and does he know, you know, exactly, you know, what he wants that culture to be, but also know how to, 
you know, handle that successfully and, and get the guys around him who, you know, share that same vision. And if, you know, I've heard duck fans say, well, if in four years he bolts for Georgia or, or an sec job where, uh, you know, well, that's good. Cause we were successful, but it's, well, okay. Let's, let's pump our brakes a little bit on that. If, 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 you know, you know, Oregon, Oregon wants to play for national championships and, and so does Washington, mm-hmm. but um, we've yet to see Oregon have a coach go to a national championship and then take his next favorite job. Yeah. Um, we're talking about a seven and five. Well, we haven't uh, even we, seen Oregon get to the college football playoffs since 100%. The yeah. last coach to take them there got fired. Yeah. So, um, uh, there's I no think doubt Cristobal did a great job. A hundred percent. You know, he got, he got them to the Pac-12 championship three times. They won it twice. They won a Rose bowl, yep. but you look at, what did he do with, uh, you know, a guy like Herbert, who, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is the probably the 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 top up and coming quarterback uh, alongside of Kyler Murray in the NFL today, and you wonder, wow, where was all that yeah. while at uh, the University of Oregon? So mm-hmm. there's a lot of question about whether or not, you know, Cristobal could really develop quarterbacks now, bringing in a defensive minded guy. Is that going to change? And uh, I think the, like, you know, I look at it and I go, okay, this is a guy that he's going to recruit, but doesn't Oregon kind of recruit itself? Like, like if I, if I were to try to find a guy and that's where I think a Wilcox could have really been successful because I think Wilcox's gift is not as a recruiter, but as a, a guy that develops and game, uh, you know, does the game day uh, game planning, you know? And so it's like, if, if Oregon can recruit itself and then you've got a coach that can game plan and develop, well, now you've got the whole package. Yeah. So I think best case scenario and, and Mark wanted me to point this out. The best case comparison would be uh, Bob Stoops who had no head coaching experience um, before he left Florida as the defensive coordinator to become the head coach at Oklahoma and obviously had a historic run there and is one of the greatest college football coaches of the last 30 years. But realistically, it seems like to me, you're looking at a guy that is going to be learning on the job, which means that there's a good chance, in my opinion, he's probably going to cost the team a game or two every year for the next two or three years just because he doesn't know what he doesn't know what's what was the stoops that took the job at arizona like (laughs) even within the family like right that's that's why it's a high risk high reward i mean this could be this could be a massive hire for oregon it could also be one that puts the program back a couple of years yeah i mean i don't think oregon's going anywhere i think they're going to be uh, you know, as it stands right now, I think they are still the powerhouse of the Pac-12 North. Um, you know, I, I don't think that that's going to change overnight, especially with the Oregon State's class. right there too, though. But, I, I like yeah, that. Too. You know, Oregon State is the ultimate anti-Oregon. I mean, right. they they don't get a lot of high-level recruits, but they develop those guys. 
Jonathan Smith has proven that he knows how to game plan with the best of them. And if they can just figure out um, what to do on the defensive side of the ball, they've got a real chance to, 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 to take down their in-state rivals regularly. But, um, you know, it's been fun to watch this Oregon program because honestly, Trevor, Nick, this year has been tough being on the dog and duck show and just watching Oregon kill it on the recruiting trail, on the field, national, you know, uh, recognition, top five ranking. Um, and, and I thought, man, I don't know if there's anything that we're going to be able to do to unthrone these guys unless they do it to themselves. And Hey, maybe this is our chance. This is a foot in the door opportunity for the university of Washington to, to come roaring back kind of like Chris Peterson did when uh, Helfrich, uh, you know, stumbled and Taggart uh, kind of took the, the helm. This could be our opportunity to regain, um, you know, the, the ascendant role of the, of the Pac-12 North and, uh, and then take our chances against Utah and, and USC in the Pac-12 championship. Sure. I mean, I, I feel the momentum is, is prevalent here in Washington where people, there was no interest in, uh, in this team uh, listening to, you know, Jimmy Lake talk after, uh, you know, his press conferences, uh, the games, the, the execution on the field, like the, 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 the program felt stagnant. And the hire of somebody like him, and, and of course, you, it's winning the introductory press conference is, is key, and he did that. And yeah. uh, I mean, uh, frankly, Lanning did too. I mean, he was fine. Yeah. Um, but I just, I, I think that this is an opportunity for Washington. Uh, you know, obviously, nobody in the North outside of Oregon, Washington, and Stanford has represented the North. And uh, uh, Oregon State poses, I think, the biggest threat to do that. But I think with the talent on this roster, Nick, like you've talked about, uh, Washington, with buy-in, with with this coaching staff, uh, it, the turnaround could be quick. And uh, for Oregon, who knows? You know, um, they just uh, they had a, a, a his first name is Seven, uh, the running back. Seven McGee. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Go into the transfer portal and then take it immediately. Take his name out after he talked to Lanning. So uh, you know, there's there's some positive vibes there as well. So you know, it's still going to be a dog fight uh, at the top. Uh, maybe you take Stanford out of that fight and you put Oregon State in, and and possibly, I mean, honestly, Washington State. So um, yeah. going to be a really interesting North next year. No doubt. Yeah, and I, I think with any any coaching changes i mean a little more with u-dub you know compared to maybe oregon you know who you know won a bunch of games and and, and lost a, a good coach i think you know but you know any change kind of brings hope you know hope for oregon that you know landing can take you to that next level of college football playoff and and hope for washington you know and our fans that you know you know, like we've been talking about, you know, we think we have the talent in place and hopefully, you know, do a quick turnaround and get back to, to where Chris Peterson had us. So, you know, I think, you know, it's an exciting time and, and, and you know, a, a time for hope to, to get better and then turn things around. 
I agree. Well, hey, as we wrap things up, I thought it'd be fun as we kind of enter into the Christmas season to finish up with our our each of us sharing our Christmas wish for this uh, Husky football team for your team. Um, so I'll go ahead and get us started. But uh, my Christmas wish for this this Husky team is that uh, the dogs would give our fans an exciting team to cheer for in 2022. You know, I'd love to say national championship, Pac-12 championship. I don't know what the state of the roster is going to be. I don't know what the competition in the Pac-12 North is going to be like in 2022. But I want to have a team that I enjoy watching play football, which is something that I have not seen in the last couple of years, really since 2018. 2019 was not that fun to watch. The, the 2020 and 2021 teams were pretty miserable uh, to watch. So I just hope that Kalen DeBoer, whether it's with Penix, with Morris, with Heward, that he can just put out uh, an offense that is fun, that's creative, that's interesting. I'd love to see our defense really become more attacking again, where we're getting turnovers, we're getting sacks, we're creating mismatches. Uh, just that excitement, because when you have those moments in Husky Stadium, when uh, the, the crowd is just jacked up, it is just such a pleasure to watch. And so that's that's my Christmas wish for this, te this team, that we'd get back to an exciting brand of Husky football. I think mine's really similar to yours. Uh, my Christmas wish is 30 points a game. Yes. Yes. Please. That'd be great. Please. Yeah, I, I mean – I mean, if we, if we can wish for anything, of course, a national championship or a Rose Bowl. But no, realistically, you know, Warren, a lot like you said, I, you know, a high-powered, fun offense, you know, that that creates that excitement and and just seeing areas of improvement, you know, especially on offense, but also on the defense. You said being more attacking, you know, seeing improvement against the run, seeing the DBs, you know, still, you know, BDBU, you know, as we say, and just you know, create that momentum, um, you know, that, you know, leads into recruiting, leads into the excitement of the fans and, you know, you know, see that hope on the horizon that we are, you know, we made the right hire and, and can keep going. Absolutely. I love that. And man, Trevor, that 30 points a game, man, I've been banging that drum all year long. Uh, if we can just get the 30 points a game, and, you know, I'll be honest, like there was a part of me that was so thankful that Washington State scored 40 points against us because I was just so sick of hearing that statistic of how we had the longest streak in the nation for keeping teams under 35 points, because I'm like, that statistic is worthless if we're playing so conservatively that we're not scoring any points at all. Like, thank you. That is the fr most frustrating thing. Like, yeah, yeah, we're holding, we're holding teams to 20 points, but we're only scoring 14. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. It. Bim, bim, but drill break only, only works if the offense is scoring points. <laughs> Unless exactly. you just run up the exactly. middle every single freaking play. 
Well, guys, thank you so much for joining on the podcast. It's been fun. Uh, Mark, we missed you, buddy. I hope everything goes well for you and your family. Kayla, thank you again for putting together the first uh, ever Pac-12 Fantasy Football uh, Championship. We look forward to doing it again. Uh, But uh, for uh, Trevor and and Nick, just a big thank you, guys. Uh, Any final thoughts before we wrap up? Thanks for putting this on, man. We re- I, I love coming on and talking football with you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for thanks for having us. It, it's been, you know, it was a tough season, but it's been fun, you know, talking with you all and, and being a part of it. All right. Well, as I usually wrap up my show, I say, for all my dogs out there, go dogs. Go dogs. Go dogs.